You know, there's some pretty famous family businesses. When you, you think about, man, what if my family were to start a business? How, how successful would that be? Well, it worked out pretty well for Walmart. That was a family business uh, that, that started out. Chick-fil-A is a family business, not too bad. In-N-Out is a family business of, of believers that continues to be passed down through their family. Interestingly enough, BMW started as a, a family business. Well, I got good news. We're welcomed into the greatest family business, and that is our Heavenly Father's kingdom. And Jesus, as a 12-year-old, he lets Mary and Joseph know, I'm about my father's business. That's really what I'm investing my life in is, is the marching orders of my father. And Jesus has welcomed us into that mission to love the father, to be obedient to the father, to reach out with the love of God to, to those around us. If you remember where we left off, Christ is just born. And where we pick up in verse 21 is he is eight days old. In this section of Luke, we look at the early life of Christ. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So eight days, Leviticus chapter 12 is when the Jewish boys would be circumcised. Jesus perfectly fulfilling the law is circumcised like John the Baptist was. And also this is the day where they were officially given their name. The angel Gabriel had told Mary that the name of the Christ child would be Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Yahweh is salvation. In the name of Jesus is the mission of Jesus, what he would accomplish for us. What we sang in that last song, that Jesus would die for our sins, be our savior. Our greatest need was Christ's greatest accomplishment. So he gets his name, Jesus. In verse 22, now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. If you go back and you read Leviticus chapter 12, you see eight days was circumcision. Then 33 days later was the time of purification for the mom, but also presenting the child to the Lord through sacrifice. In Leviticus 12, it tells us if you could bring a lamb, if you could afford to bring a lamb, you would. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, then you could bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that was the case for Mary and Joseph. Here they are entrusted with the lamb of God, but they can't afford a lamb to bring as a sacrifice. This was a public statement of your poverty. This is saying, I can't afford a lamb. And God makes allowances that you could bring these young turtle doves. And that's the place of Mary and Joseph, this young couple under the scrutiny of their family and society. And they don't have a lot of financially. In verse 23, as it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, surrendered to the Lord and an offering and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. So again, Jesus fulfilling the law perfectly, Mary and Joseph bring the turtle doves uh, to the Lord. God is going to meet Mary and Joseph in this 40th, 41st day of Jesus's life as they're coming to the temple for this purification, presenting Jesus to the Lord. God has got such a special surprise for Mary and Joseph through Simeon and Anna. 
And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Simeon, we know he's older in his years. God promised to him that he wouldn't pass away until the Christ was revealed to him. We learn about his character. He was just. He walked in integrity. He did what was right unto the Lord. He lived out his worship in the way that he lived his life. He was also devout. To be devout is to be committed. You think of an athlete, they're devout. You think of someone pursuing education, they're, they're devout. Someone committed to their family, they're devout. And Simeon was devout to the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was God's commentary on our lives? that we were just and we were devout, that we were committed to the Lord. But he was also waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the coming Messiah. All of these promises in the Old Testament of God sending the Messiah, and he was looking for that, looking for God's deliverance for the nation of Israel. What are we to be waiting for as believers? The second coming of Jesus, the rapture of the church, the fulfillment of, of all things. But yet, oftentimes, if we're honest, we're, we're not waiting in anticipation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's not on the forefront of our hearts and our minds. And that's similar to the place that Simeon would have been in. The nation of Israel was waiting for the coming Messiah. But I think a lot of people in Israel were simply living their lives. A lot of the children of Israel were trying to survive and weren't thinking about God's promise of sending the Messiah. And we can be like Simeon. We can choose to say, Jesus told me to be watching, to living my life in expectation to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I want to be looking. I want to be waiting. I want to be watching for Christ to return. And also the Holy Spirit was upon him. Holy Spirit's so active in these first two chapters of Luke. The Holy Spirit is upon John the Baptist, upon Elizabeth, upon Zacharias, upon Mary, and now upon Simeon. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this is something that the Spirit of God had put on Simeon's heart that Christ would be revealed before he would pass away. I picture Simeon probably holding on to this in his heart. This was probably not something that he posted on TikTok or social media. It's probably not something that he talked about at the, at the dinner table because everybody would look at him like, yeah, right, you've heard from the Holy Spirit. You're not gonna die until you see the Christ. But this is what the Holy Spirit had put on his heart and God was going to fulfill this promise that he gave to Simeon. Check out verse 27. So he came by the Spirit of God into the temple. The Spirit of God says to Simeon, you need to go to the temple today. And this is the day of purification for Mary according to the law. And he's obedient to that. He follows that leading of the Holy Spirit. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, through the Holy Spirit, Simeon realizes this is the Christ. This is the Son of God. And he just goes up and he picks up this 40-day-old Jesus and begins to bless him. I wonder if he asked for permission first. <laughs> or if he's just this old guy going, oh man, he so picks up Jesus and just starts to, to bless him. 
This is what he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon saw himself as a servant, a servant unto the Lord, and he's saying, now I can pass away. Now I can depart in peace. The the Messiah has been revealed. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He understands that Jesus, this young child, this infant, is going to bring salvation. This promise that Jesus will bring revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon understands that Jesus is for all people, have prepared before the face of all peoples, that God loves the world. Why would he not love the world? He's created each and every one of us, each people group, each ethnicity. So it's going to bring revelation to the Gentiles, but also glory to your people Israel, the fulfillment of God's promises to the nation of Israel, bringing the nation of Israel into the new covenant, welcoming Gentiles into the new covenant as well. Verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. An important distinction here, if we're paying attention, Joseph and his mother. Mary's called his mother, but Joseph's not called his dad. (laughs) Joseph has the responsibility of raising Jesus, but who is Jesus' father? God's his father, the, the heavenly father. And so Luke does make that distinction, and Joseph and his mother are blown away. We already have the experience of the shepherds. We also know from the other gospel accounts the wise men coming to Jesus, bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many wise men were there? We don't know. The scripture doesn't say. Some assume three because there was three gifts, but we know there's more than one, but we don't know the specifics of, of how many wise men. And now Simeon and then Anna. So, so God's really encouraging this young couple and also getting the message out that God has sent his son in human flesh. Then Simeon blessed them. So blesses Jesus, but blesses Mary and Joseph and said to Mary, his mother, behold, This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Speaking specifically to Mary, saying saying, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And this to me really sums up the life of Jesus, sums up his death upon the cross and his resurrection because his death and resurrection, his life, results in the rising of many. For those that will trust in Jesus, that will receive the free gift of salvation, those that will understand that they're sinners and turn from their sin and believe, crying out to Christ, Jesus, would would you save me? God is then gracious to cause that to be the rising, to cause that to be the forgiveness of sins, to cause that to be where the sons and daughters of God, where the adopted children of God, to cause it to be such that we're seated with Christ in the heavens, that we have everlasting life, that we're raised up with glorified bodies. I mean, it's an incredible rising up, amen, when you receive Christ as your savior. And that's the result of those that will turn to Christ. But also Christ results in some people's fall, 
What is ultimately going to cause somebody to be eternally separated from God? The Bible calls it hell. It's the rejection of Jesus Christ. It's this sign that Simeon refers to and for a sign which will be spoken against. There's some that mock the cross. Instead of seeing the cross as God's ultimate gift to them, there would be, why would I need Jesus to die for my sins? They think the cross is foolishness. The resurrection of Christ is foolishness. And if someone continues in that heart condition, unfortunately, over the course of their whole life, it is their ultimate fall. I believe that each time that somebody rejects Christ, the person and work of Christ, and they harden their heart towards Christ, they're on this downward spiral. And if that has been your trajectory, thankfully, God allows you turns and you can change your mind about Christ and realize your need for Christ and realize the danger of continuing to say no to Christ. And God, this morning, right now, he would want to save you and bring you into his kingdom. But there is one thing that determines your rise, and there is one thing that determines your fall. And it's not economics. It's not education. It's not where you were born or where you live in this planet. It's whether you receive Jesus Christ as your savior. You got one decision to make in your life, and that is will you trust Christ as your savior? And so this is an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement about the work of Jesus Christ and what he has has done for us. Yes, a sword were pierced through your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Remember, still speaking to Mary, this sword that's going to pierce through her soul is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Mary is there watching her son be crucified watching her son be nailed to the cross, the crown of thorns, Jesus being spit upon and and whipped. She hears the, the words of Jesus caring for her at his death, looking at John the disciple and says, behold your mom. Even in his dying moments, he's caring for his mom and Mary and Joseph were linked up at the cross, excuse me, Mary and John were linked up at the cross and, and John cared for Mary as his, his own mom. How that would pierce her soul. As a dad of four, there's no greater pain than watching your kids suffer. If you're a parent, you know that. It just hurts in such a acute way to see your kids go through suffering. And for Mary, how this would pierce her soul to see Christ go through suffering. The reason for this suffering that the thoughts of many may be revealed. The crucifixion of Christ reveals our hearts. It reveals our thoughts. If you really want to know where someone's at with Jesus, share the cross with them. Because the cross is going to reveal pride. I don't need the cross. Or it's going to reveal humility. Oh, I'm so thankful that Jesus died for our sins. But, but the cross of Jesus Christ really does reveal our hearts. Now we focus on Anna, this amazing woman of God. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. Anna had a difficult life. She was only married for seven years. Her husband passes away. 
She lives in this place of being a widow for 84 years. She's definitely elderly. Remember, they would get married young at this time in history, but she's up there in her years, and she would come daily to the temple, and she would serve God in fasting and prayers. This gives us an indication that prayer and fasting is service to the Lord. When you pray and you draw near to God in prayer and intercede on the behalf of others, you're serving God. Anna was serving God in a very private way that wasn't public, but so powerful. I suggest that this is probably the most powerful way that we can serve the Lord is to draw near to him in prayer and to intercede on behalf of others. Fasting is giving up of food to seek the Lord in prayer. Jesus shared with the disciples, they asked, why can't we cast out this demon? And Jesus said, well, this kind, this particular demonic power only comes out through prayer and fasting, waging war in that spiritual battle. Isaiah 58 talks about the fast that the Lord has chosen. Some of you have really been called into this type of of prayer ministry and, and thank you for interceding. Thank you for interceding on behalf of this church and those that God puts upon your heart in our community. And it's hard for us to understand this in the spiritual realm. You may be being stirred to pray more. Anna's a great example to us of that. Could Anna have gotten bitter? I mean, here her husband has passed away. Absolutely. But instead of getting bitter, she pressed into the Lord and saw purpose for what God had for her in her singleness. And I know singleness is extremely difficult. And to realize, okay, God may have purpose in my singleness. He's either going to allow me to get married or he is allowing me to be single, protecting one's heart from, from bitterness and serving the Lord. Singleness does provide a, a unique opportunity to single, serve the Lord. Anna doesn't have those responsibilities of family, so she's able to come to the temple every day and to serve the Lord in prayer and in fasting. In verse 38, and coming in that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. So she recognizes this is the Christ as well. And she gives thanks to the Lord. She's praising God, and she begins to share this with all those who looked for redemption in Israel. There's a move of God in Israel where there were some that were looking for God's redemption for his people. Anna and also Simeon are examples of those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, looking for the coming of Christ, and great examples of men and women that loved the Lord. We now focus on Christ continuing to grow in verse 39. So when they performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Remember, the different gospel accounts give us different details of the life of Christ and We know from the other gospels that before they returned to Nazareth, they had to go to Egypt. God warned Joseph in a dream because Herod was 
killing all of the baby boys in Bethlehem, you've got to flee. It's not safe for here. You've got to go to, to Egypt. And they go to Egypt for a time. Then the Lord speaks to them again and says, now it's, it's safe for you. You can go back up to, to Nazareth, to, to Galilee. So Jesus was a refugee. Mary and Joseph had to live in Egypt. They may or may not have known the language, probably not. They, they weren't familiar with the culture and they had to go to Egypt for refuge for a season before they go back to Nazareth. And now Christ is in Nazareth and the child grew. Jesus in human flesh went through all of the stages of human development. Jesus was a five-year-old and had his first day of kindergarten, right? Jesus goes through puberty. It's, it's a hard thought to comprehend and somehow he did it without sin. He's the God in, in human flesh, right? And so as he's growing physically, he also becomes strong in spirit. Like John the Baptist, his spirit is becoming strong. He's, he's filled with wisdom. And wisdom is knowledge, but it's also the ability to apply that knowledge. And the grace of God was upon him. This is not grace in the sense of forgiveness of sin, the way we experience grace. But this speaks of the Father's favor. The Father's favor was upon Jesus. In verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. This shows Mary and Joseph's dedication to the Lord. Passover was remembering God's deliverance from Egypt. The last plague, they were to put blood on the door of their home. Then judgment passed over. Pharaoh, after the loss of the oldest male, decides to let the Israelites go. So every year they would remember Passover. Ultimately, it points to Jesus and his sacrifice when we apply his blood to the door of our hearts and our lives. Judgment passes over. So Mary and Joseph would come from Nazareth down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. They'll travel together in community with family and friends. Towards the end of the book of Psalms, we have a set of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And these were psalms that they would sing as they're traveling to Jerusalem. So it's cool to read those psalms, to think about Jesus traveling in community as a 12-year-old to come to the Passover. But it wasn't just when he was 12. He would do this every year throughout his, his childhood. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When you were 13, you became a member of the synagogue. So he's not yet quite old enough to be a member of, of the synagogue. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother didn't know it. But supposing to him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. This is a bad day when you lose God's son. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the stress for, for Mary and Joseph? A whole day goes by. So they've, they've traveled now a day away from uh, Jerusalem. And they're like, hey, have you seen Jesus uh, I thought he was with this family member or the, this friend. We're all traveling in, in community. And, you know, their guard had probably gotten let down a little bit, I would think, because they're like, 
you know, he is God in human flesh. We know he's not going to do anything bad. I mean, we can trust him. We got, he's, he's got this great sound uh, character, but then nobody knows where, where Jesus is. So they rush back to Jerusalem. So now you got a day back. It's already day two. And then a whole third day of looking for Jesus. And they finally decide to go look in the temple. Now it was after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. So imagine this 12-year-old boy wanting to be at the temple, talking with the teachers, and he's listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. They're blown away at this 12-year-old's understanding his answers I was thinking about this and just considering it. Most of the persecution that would come upon Jesus came out of the temple. And it came out of the religious leaders. And I wonder if any of those religious leaders remembered Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. If any of them, age-wise, were able to go back and go, Oh, I remember this guy when he was 12 years old. We know Jesus died when he was 33 started his public ministry when he was about 30. So, you know, you fast forward 20 years or so, and some of these teachers could have easily have been alive at this point when Jesus was 12, and then also chose to to persecute Christ. I would have loved to hear Christ's questions and comments as a 12-year-old. We're told in Scripture, the instruction to Timothy is don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example of of the Christian life. And we need to be careful not to look down on a 12-year-old. You know, God's doing something in our young people here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, and we're really thankful, and we've been praying for it. Uh, You got led in worship by two high school students and Jared this morning. Yeah, how cool. Like, we've seen Jaden learn to play the guitar, and this is the first time he's played the piano, and he was stinking good at it, right? But more importantly, like their, their hearts are, are for the Lord. And, and so as God raises up young people to be able to hear from them and to hear what God's doing in their hearts and, and in, their, in their lives. Verse 48, so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this thing to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Mary takes this personally and I don't think she needs to. I don't think Jesus was going like, man, I'm going to stick it to mom here. You know, I'm going I'm to stay here in the temple. The father was leading him. The father was leading him to linger at the temple and ask these, these questions and share these understandings. And, but then notice also what Mary says. Your father and I have, sent, have sought you anxiously. And Jesus is going to remind her, Joseph is not my father. I'm about my father's business and it's not Joseph's. And I don't think that Christ is being disrespectful, but he's reminding her, I'm here for the ultimate purpose of serving my father. And I think it's the way that Mary said this that also then causes Jesus to respond the way that he did. In verse 49, and when he said to them, why did you seek me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? 
They don't understand, verse 50, but they didn't understand the statements which he spoke to them. They're like, Joseph doesn't work at the temple. You know, Joseph's a carpenter, and it just, just goes right over their head. But this does show us the commitment, the heart, the mission of Jesus. Even as a 12-year-old, he understands that he's here to be about the Father's business. That what the Father has instructed him to do, that is what he is going to do. This phrase, must be, is used also in Luke 4, verse 43. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities. They wanted Jesus to stay at a particular city. There was a lot happening spiritually, and Jesus went away and prayed and got alone with the Father, and he said, no, I must go to other cities. I must preach the the kingdom of God. And then Luke 9, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus being about the Father's business led him to be crucified. That was the plan of the Father. When we think about what is this life all about, we're going to be about someone's business. We're going to be about something. We're going to be for something. And a lot of times, we're for ourselves. It's Team Eric. We, we wake up and we're, we're selfish and we're committed to our own endeavors. A lot of days we're just trying to get through, aren't we? If we're honest, it's, it's just about survival. We're not thinking about what does the Father have for me? We're maybe not giving our love to the Father, realizing that he's got a plan and purpose in that particular day. There's the confusion of this world, the world giving us instructions through the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And these are crazy times that we're living in, uncertain times that we're living in. And God's heart would be to stir us as believers to be about the Father's business. Yes, to read this and go, oh, this is amazing that Jesus is at this place at 12 years old, but also am I at this place in my life this morning at the end of August in 2022? We may go, well, 10 years ago, I was about my father's business or, or God got a hold of my heart 20 years ago or five years ago. But you know what? God wants our hearts this morning. This is a continual decision of saying, Jesus, I find you to be worthy of following. And I hope that's true in our lives. When we look at the person and the work of Jesus Christ, his grace that was given to us, we say, I don't have very much time here. Have you realized that? We don't have a lot of time here. We don't know when our expiration date is. A lot of times we foolishly think, I'm guaranteed 80 years. No, we're not guaranteed 80 years. We have today, we want to redeem the time and say, God, you have captured my heart. I want to be about your business. And it's not always easy. Where did this get Christ? As we mentioned, the cross. As we follow Christ, it will result in some suffering. But Jesus told us that this is where we find abundant life. We're not going to find life in the business of selfishness. We're not going to find life in the business of the pursuits of this this sinful world. But we're going to find life in surrendering to Jesus Christ. If we seek to save our life, we're going to lose it. But if we lose our life for Christ's sake, we're going to find it. Jesus came offering abundant life, and it's found in surrender. It's, it's found in saying, yes, I'm going to be about my father's business. Verse 51, and they went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother 
kept all of these things in her heart. So she, she has been keeping this scrapbook in her heart through all of this with the shepherds, with Simeon, with Anna, this encounter at the temple, even though she didn't fully understand it. And Jesus was subject to Mary and Joseph. Jesus was clearly, obviously, the authority over Mary and Joseph. But in his humility, he chose to come underneath their authority. You may have some authority in your life where you're actually superior to them. You have more knowledge. You have more experience. You actually know the the better decision uh, to make. But God has called you to come underneath their authority as long as it's biblical and moral and ethical. If you choose to do that, you're putting yourself under the umbrella of God's obedience. Notice, as Christ was subject to Mary and Joseph, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He continued to grow physically, but he was also growing in wisdom, and he had favor with God, and he also had favor with men. Where do we go from this passage? Well, first, we stand in awe of Jesus, that Jesus is our Savior, Yahweh is salvation. That through his death and resurrection is the rise and fall of many. You know your heart, and you know whether you've trusted Christ for salvation. Those with us online, in person here in the sanctuary. And I would gently but urgently encourage you to trust Christ as your salvation. Like I mentioned... This is the most important decision of your life. This is the deciding decision. Will you trust Christ for salvation? Will you allow him to raise you up out of your sins? We feel this guilt and shame over our sin. And Jesus provides forgiveness to those who will believe. He'll remove your sin from you. He'll grant you eternal life. He'll give you the love that you're longing for to be the adopted son and daughter of God. But this is not a decision that's based on our emotions. It's a decision that's based on truth, that I'm a sinner and I need a a savior, that it's just of God to eternally separate me from his holiness if I choose to reject Christ as my savior. Jesus does not want a result in your fall. He wants to result in your salvation. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He delights in us receiving Christ as your Savior. So would you open your heart to Jesus? Cry out to him. As we sing this last song in just a moment, there's going to be a prayer team and pastors available here on the side. And right during the song, would you come up and let us know, I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior. Online, you can make a decision. There's a team that's ready in the chats and the comments. Indicate, I want to receive Christ as my Savior and we'll be there to, to pray with you. But today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't don't put it off. And then for those of us that know Christ as our Savior, stay with me, is honestly, what business are you about? What, What business am I about? And would we be about our Father's business? What's important to the Lord? Drawing near to Him, loving Him, and loving people, encouraging believers, reaching out to unbelievers. It's an exciting time that we're living in. And God has purpose for our days. He has purpose for our lives. And if if you've walked away from the Lord, if you've left that first love, would you come back to the Lord this morning? As we worship, to come down, to ask prayer, I need to come back to the Lord. 
Thankfully, God welcomes back prodigals. I'm so thankful for that. And are you tired of the pig pen? Maybe it's a relationship that you need to get out of that's really darkening your soul and your relationship with the Lord. It's not not honoring to the Lord. You found yourself in something that's not God's will for your heart and your life. And you honestly say, it's been a long time since I've been about the Father's business, but you remember what it was like in the Father's house. You remember, man, I, I had fellowship with the Father. And the Father won't make you come back, but he'll welcome you back if you choose to come back. It's a small step on your part to come back, and God's going to come running to you to restore that joy of salvation. So if you need to respond to receive Christ for the first time or come back to the Lord, do it. But this is what I'm sensing in my heart is what's taking place in our culture and our, our society is we don't have room to be lukewarm anymore. And that be, may be something really cool that God's doing in these times. But he's stirring us in such a way where it's like you're either going to choose to accept Christ and follow him or not. And as believers, we're either going to follow Christ or not. We're either going to accept the Bible as truth or not. And I feel the Spirit of God is saying, yeah, go for it. Be all in. So what if there's suffering in this life under the point of death? Let's do it honorably under Jesus Christ. Amen. You know? Say, all right, I'm all in. You know, I don't want to start a prison ministry, but it's possible in my lifetime as a pastor, right? To say, okay, Lord, it, yeah, there's suffering. This is not the direction of our culture. But Lord, I want to be about your business. But I also want to be honest with you this morning. Sunday morning is the easiest time for me to be about the Lord's business. As we're gathered together in worship and studying the word and teaching the word. But Monday morning comes, and you know what my sinful flesh wants? Eric Cartier's business. Team Eric, think about myself. Selfishness, survival. And I can easily have way too many days of my life where I'm not about the Father's business. So we need God's help. We surrender to the Lord. We need his help. So let's stand together. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would empower us through his spirit. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us an an indication of your, your early life. Thank you for you being willing to be about the Father's business that resulted in our, our salvation. God, you know our hearts. You know those that haven't trusted you for salvation. And would you be gracious to communicate your love and grace to them? May there be a willingness to respond to the gospel. For those that need to come back, Holy Spirit, would you speak to them? Would you welcome them back? Would you restore unto them the joy of their, their salvation? And God, we do ask that you would forgive us for so many days that we're about our, ourselves. We're about the things of this world and, and we want to surrender afresh to you. We want to put our lives on your altar and be about your, your plan for our lives. So would you help us? Would you equip us through the, the power of the Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.